thousand generations of Jedi Knights and the Guardians of Peace, Justice, Welcome back to A People's History of the Old Republic, episode 9.5, The Old Republic is Dead, Long Live the Old Republic. Last time, we completed the narrative by finishing up the Darth Bane trilogy of novels. This time, we read the tea leaves and tell you as much as we legally can about the future of the Old Republic in canon. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a little bit of truth in legends. Now, before we get started, a couple of show notes. Uh, Show note one, on February 16th, 2021, we added an epilogue to episode 7.7 that covers the newest SWOTOR content update called Echoes of Oblivion, which was released in December 2020. Echoes of Oblivion resolves basically every open question left from SWOTOR with the exception of Malgus, and resolution to his storyline is teased, so there may well be one more update. The epilogue has been added to the end of episode 7.7 for listeners going through the show the first time, but we've also added the epilogue as a stand as a standalone episode, specifically episode 1.25, for listeners who have already listened to episode 7.7 and just want to catch up on the latest content update. And show note two. As you can probably guess by now, this is the last narrative episode of a People's History of the Republic podcast. No, we won't be covering any new content this time. There really isn't anything left to cover after we added the epilogue for the new SWOTOR content, unless one final content update gets added to the game. Uh, Instead, this episode will serve as a capstone for the narrative, and we'll use it to talk through everything we know about the future of the Old Republic and canon. Although we've done canon alerts and talked about it offhand a few times, we haven't really we haven't gone really in depth about it and explored how it fits together. And that was an intentional choice because frankly there isn't that much info and the info we have has changed greatly since we started. But the passage of time has forced our hand and now we have to lay all our cards on the table and discuss what we know about the canonical old republic. After this episode, the show will go on an extended break until the uh, canon Old Republic becomes a reality. That may be a few months or a few years, well, probably years, but we just don't know. So think of this episode as an epilogue to the narrative that looks forward to what the Old Republic might become in the future. In the meantime, we will still occasionally release new hiatus episodes about non-Old Republic content like book and show reviews, interviews, and the like. This show isn't permanently gone or anything, it's just that the feed won't be updated regularly. You can still free, feel free to email or DM the show with ideas, complaints, theories, and more, as those accounts will still be monitored. It would actually be somewhat ironic if we started getting a lot of messages and emails after the narrative ended. Anyway, without further ado, please enjoy this episode, and thanks so much for listening. A little over two years ago, we started this podcast with the goals of going through every standalone Legends Old Republic story, while also looking forward to the canon Old Republic stories to come. And as of episode 9.4, we achieved that first goal. By our calculation, we covered or in some way referenced every piece of standalone content released within the Old Republic era. That includes three video games, one tabletop role-playing game, nine full-length novels, 23 short stories, eight ebooks, six one-shot comics, 36 comic arcs totaling more than 110 individual issues, five cinematic trailers, two era-specific RPG source books, and one era-specific reference book. Obviously, some of these got more time than others. For example, we spent 12 episodes on the story of KOTOR 2, while we didn't even mention most of SWOTOR tie-in short stories by name, only alluding to their contents during the narrative. Still, we got it all, from a few pages in Alan Moore's 1982 comic, Tlotny Throws a Shape, to Star Wars The Old Republic, which received a content update in December 2020. Regardless of whether this content update is the last, or if they add one more for Darth Malgus, the end of SWOTOR appears to be in sight. 
If that is the case, the days of the Legends Old Republic are numbered because SWOTOR is the last ongoing story. When it officially ends, the Legends Old Republic will be well and truly dead. The canon Old Republic, on the other hand, is very much alive, and that brings us to our second goal in starting the show, looking forward to the canonical Old Republic. Currently, everything we know of the canon Old Republic comes from anecdotal in-universe references or blurbs in reference books. It's there, it's just lurking in the background waiting to be explored. But there is good reason to believe that the Old Republic era is the future of canon, and that we will see a KOTOR film adaptation. In this episode, we will discuss the in-universe and real-world reasons that Star Wars will return to the Old Republic, and in so doing, we will complete the second of our two original goals by truly looking forward to the future of the Old Republic. Then, at the very end, we will say our fond farewells, at least until the canonical Old Republic becomes a reality and we make our triumphant return. In January 2019, we set out to tell every standalone story in the Old Republic, and now we've done it. For our purposes, the end of the Old Republic in Legends means our narrative was complete last time in episode 9.4. If SOTOR releases one final content update in 2021, as seems likely, then the Old Republic of Legends will have lived from 1982 to 2021, passing away at the ripe old age of 39. That may sound low, but 39 years would make it the longest lasting publishing era in Star Wars history and older than both the co-hosts of this fine podcast, at least for the time being. But the end of the Old Republic in Legends isn't the end of the Old Republic, not by a long shot. Remember, despite most of the narrative focusing on Legends, we still had 59 canon updates for references to the Old Republic that have already appeared in canon. Those range from one-off name-dropping like Tarsus Valorum all the way up to actually seeing the era twice during flashbacks in comics. For many reasons we're about to get into, it seems like an inevitability that Star Wars will return to the Old Republic we know and love for stories set in that era in canon. And we mean actual stories featured in movies, TV shows, comics, books, and more, not just scraping of the bottom, not just scraping the bottom of the barrel for name drops like we do now, though we do love those tiny references too, don't get us wrong. This episode does, however, come with a single caveat. We don't have any inside info whatsoever. Everything referenced in this episode is educated guessing and or considered speculation based upon reports and official statements. So with all that out of the way, we will start with the in-universe reasons that a return to the old Republic is likely before moving to the in-real-life reasons. And hopefully by the end of the episode, we will see, we will see that the return to the old Republic in, ca- in canon is not a question of if, but when. Probably. Truth in Legends. At the beginning of every narrative episode we've done, we've included the tagline, there's always a bit of truth in Legends. This is a quote from Ahsoka Tano in the season two finale of Star Wars Rebels, Twilight of the Apprentice Part 1. In the episode, she's giving an object lesson to Jedi Padawan Ezra Bridger and his master, Kanan Jarrus, about the power of myths and legends to teach future generations as they travel to a world called Malachor. But it's also a subtle hint to the audience that the old extended universe hadn't been erased and had instead been turned into legends that would be borrowed from and adapted to inform the canon. As if to reinforce this point, Ahsoka, Ezra, and Kanan then land on a long-dead world called Malachor, which shares a name with the Malachor V that was so integral to KOTOR, KOTOR II, and our narrative. The similarities between Malachor V and Malachor don't stop at the name. In canon, Malachor is a long-dead former Sith world that held an underground Sith temple and had been the site of a superweapon detonation during a war involving the Jedi during the time of the Old Republic. They also found a Sith holocron with the voice of a dead female Sith Lord who might or might not be Darth Trya. 
Obviously, there are some big differences between the two portrayals beyond slightly changing the name. In Legends, the Jedi fought the Mandalorians at Malachor V, not the Sith as portrayed in canon. Additionally, the different fates of the planet itself are in stark contrast to one another. In canon, the trio lands on Malachor and explores its thousands of years after the superweapon activation, whereas in Legends, the planet was destroyed by a second superweapon activation in 3951 before the Battle of Yavin. In later interviews, Dave Filoni said that the changes were made intentionally to slightly mix up the old story and that Malachor was indeed the canonical version of Malachor V. Filoni also said that he had already had an idea for how all these little plot details could be tied together. This includes knowing the identity of the mysterious female Sith Lord in the Sith Holocron, but he didn't want to reveal them too early and set it in stone. We believe this story is instructive for looking to the future of the canon Old Republic. The Once and Future Old Republic the Old Republic's existence in the canon is unquestionable. It refers both to a general general era of time before the Empire rose to power, as Obi-Wan uh, stated in A New Hope, and it also refers to a colloquial name for the government that predated the Rusan Reformations, as Jedi Master Sacy Ten says in The Clone Wars. Dozens of events, things, and people have been referenced from the Old Republic, but most are either anecdotal or name drops in reference books. Since no stories have been told during the Old Republic era, we have very little in the way of concrete info, but the foundation is still there. For example, we know that a Darth Revan ruled the Sith at some point in the past, and that a group known as the Krath seized the Empress Tita system for its Carbonite. We know that the Hundred Years' Darkness occurred and that the Sith Empire formed of exiled Dark Jedi returned and that the Sith Empire formed of exiled Dark Jedi returned centuries later in a war much like the Great Hyperspace War in Legends. Those are all very specific references to Legends Old Republic stories we've covered, and there are dozens more just like that. And while it is possible that all of them are just little Easter eggs, we know that some of them are not. There's a reason Ahsoka talks about truth and legends in the episode where they visit Malachor. When Dave Filoni said that he had a backstory in mind for the ancient Sith Lord who activated the Temple of Malachor, he specifically chose to withhold the name in case other writers wanted to use Malachor differently. There's no point in keeping a name secret unless it's a name that people would recognize if you don't plan on turning those legends into truth. It's clear they don't have an issue name-dropping Revan or Naga Sadao in various contexts, so why hold off on naming it in this instance unless you're holding off for future stories that reference the past? When we started this podcast, we knew of a few dozen events and names, and it was and it was understood that the Jedi Order started circa 10,000 BBY in canon. However, additional info has now pushed that date back to 25,000 BBY. There's no reason to give yourself that much time if you aren't going to use it in some way. With that, let's get to our final canon alert of the narrative, which happens to be number 60. And since this is the 60th episode of our narrative, we averaged one canon alert per episode. A coincidence, a coincidence to be sure, but a happy one all the same. Canon alert 60. The Keldroma Epics. We had one last update, and it seemed appropriate to save it for this moment to reinforce the point. The Keldroma epics are a series of ancient stories about powerful Jedi and Sith, like Exar Kun, Naga Sadao, and Ulic Keldroma, and the battles they waged. Essentially, it's an in-universe version of Tales of the Jedi. The epics reference many things we know and love from tales by name, including the Great Hyperspace War, the destruction of the Jedi Library World Ossus, Jedi Master Odan Ur, Empress Teta's Unification Wars, and much more. As you can see, it's a lot, and it's all seemingly pulled directly from legend stories. Now, there is a big, if somewhat strange, caveat to the Keldroma epics. They were referenced by a 2015 tabletop RPG sourcebook supplement called Nexus of Power. However, 
the canonicity of the Keldroma epics remain in question because all RPG sourcebook supplements released after Disney's canon reorganization in late 2014 contain elements of both legends and canon and are thus considered of dubious canonicity, if not outright non-canonical. The sourcebooks make no attempt to delineate between the two, so unless they're separately referenced elsewhere in canon, they aren't canonical just yet. But the Keldroma epics aren't doomed just yet. In fact, there appears to be ample evidence to the contrary. Firstly, the term Keldroma epics was created for Nexus of Power. There was no in-universe collection of the tales of the Jedi stories in Legends. It seems odd to create a whole new reference point for those stories, but consign it to Legends. Secondly, the Keldroma epics were mentioned again in a 2019 sourcebook supplement called Gadgets and Gear. This references the Sith Lord Exar Kun as being the first to use a double-bladed lightsaber just like in Tales. Third and finally, there are references to characters from the Keldroma epics in other definitively canon sources such as Naga Sadao and Odan Ur in The Rise of Skywalker Visual Dictionary and The Great Sith War in Light of the Jedi, the first High Republic novel. For these reasons, we're assuming the Keldroma epics are canon, though they will see a few changes if those stories are ever told. Reservations. By now, we're getting tentatively excited as thoughts of a KOTOR uh, TV show or movie and a possible revival of Tales of the Jedi dance through our heads. But you... But you are, of course, a discerning and pragmatic listener, and you have some reservations about, about, about all this. Being a longtime listener, you would obviously love to see Naga Sadao or Darth Traya return, but you're also skeptical. You step back to survey the situation and see only scattered in-universe Easter eggs and a few vague comments as evidence for canon Old Republic content. By now, you've developed four very real concerns about the viability of the canonical Old Republic that must be addressed with that actual evidence before you'll be convinced. Oh, man, this is a terrible uh, rhetorical device by way to get this as a way to get this across. For instance, your first concern is that the Old Republic and KOTOR are too much of a niche setting to appeal to casual fans. Disney's not going to resurrect an entire era based on a 17-year-old video game that would only cater to a small but loud contingent of online dorks like us, right? Your second concern is that the Old Republic stories would mean going back thousands of years in the past, which is too attenuated from the Skywalker Saga era and would alienate, and would thus alienate some fans. Thirdly, you are concerned because you've realized that it's far too late to simply recanonize Old Legends material due to small but fundamental changes made to the canon. This means any content for the canonical Old Republic must be adapted and can't just be copied over from Legends. Fourth and finally, you are concerned because Disney didn't announce any Old Republic era content at their 2020 at, at their 2020 shareholder presentation. If the Old Republic era is so popular and is destined to happen, like we keep implying, Disney would sure Disney surely would have at least mentioned it at the event, right? At this point, you're skeptical about any future canon Old Republic stories, and you're right to be apprehensive because we haven't offered much proof yet. The thing is, it's not that any of these objections about the canon Old Republic stories are wrong, it's just that they might not be as big of a deal as they otherwise appear. So before you write off the idea entirely, we'd like to present the real-world evidence in favor of Star Wars returning to the Old Republic, and we'll respond to each of your concerns in turn. Concern number one, that this is a niche property. Okay, yes, it's true that the most popular Legends Old Republic story, KOTOR, is a video game that is old enough to drive a car. And yes, it's also true that its popularity is mostly concentrated among a small subset of fans as opposed to the overall Star Wars fandom. Most Star Wars fans don't know what happens on animated shows like Rebels and the Clone Wars, much less the content from a bunch of old comics and video games. However, that's the wrong way to look at KOTOR. Yes, it's obvious that most fans don't know who Darth Revan is, but that's missing the point. In this case, 
niche appeal is a good thing because it means that KOTOR already has a large base of support amongst the fandom, probably the largest of any Legends property. Corporations like Disney see built-in fan support like this as an indicator of residual interest in the properties, which will translate into profits. More existing fans means they have to convince less of the fandom to make this journey into the Old Republic because those existing fans are already willing to do so. Additionally, existing fans will tell the stories to other fans who become interested after seeing or hearing references to the Old Republic. If and when they do announce the canonical Old Republic, our podcast will hopefully serve that purpose for more casual Star Wars fans looking to learn more about the Old Republic. We can also look at the example of Thrawn in canon to see how reintroducing a fan-favorite Legends character can be well can be done well. Before Thrawn returned to the canon in Season 3 of Rebels, he was just a Legends character who was extremely popular with a small group of fans, comparatively speaking, much like Revan is now. Then, despite the fact that casual fans didn't know Thrawn, he was made the primary antagonist for the final two seasons of Rebels, and... Has since and has since had four canonical novels published, with two more well on the way. More recently, he was name dropped in season two of The Mandalorian, and it is now heavily rumored that at least two new Disney Plus shows will focus on the search for Thrawn. Rumor has it that they will adapt large parts of uh, large parts of Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy, which was released between 1991 and 1993. That live-action reference means that a huge part of the fan base has been introduced to Thrawn, and it hasn't caused any problems. Instead, there have been, there's been a very positive reception both to Thrawn's canonization and to his mention in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. This would seem to imply that introducing Revan in a KOTOR adaptation wouldn't really be an issue. Hardcore, fan, hardcore fans get to see the character and story we love. Casual fans get a, whole new era, uh, get a whole new era to explore, and Disney gets their money. The obvious difference is that Thrawn lived during the Skywalker Saga era, while Revan lived thousands of years in the past, and this remote setting could cause problems for some fans. However, this likely isn't as big of an impediment as you might think at first glance, especially given the money involved. Concern 2, remote setting. It's not that the remote setting of Old Republic stories isn't an issue. It's only natural to question the viability and fan interest for jumping 4,000 years into the past. Indeed, moving so far back in the timeline without anything to connect fans to the Skywalker saga has been a concern for some at Disney in the past. However, those concerns have been overtaken by the crass self-interest that runs all corporations. That doesn't mean that your personal qualms about the franchise moving into the Old Republic are invalid. It means that corporations exist to make money and will make decisions accordingly. And while we don't want profit motives to be the driving force behind the creative direction that Star Wars takes, we also have to be realistic. Star Wars is owned by the largest media corporation to ever exist. Profit is the motive of all corporations, and there's a shitload of it to be made in KOTOR. With all that being said, the built-in fan base of... that The built-in base of fans that KOTOR already has and Revan's continuing popularity are enough to overcome any concerns about such a remote setting. Besides, it's going to have lightsabers and the Force. It will be fine. Star Wars is already beginning to move away from the Skywalker Saga era and explore different eras of the timeline with the High Republic. If and when they decide to move to more distant eras of the timeline, KOTOR and the Old Republic, by extension, make the most sense from a business perspective. KOTOR appears to be one of the best-selling EU stories ever, and possibly in the top three. By 2007, four years after its release, KOTOR had sold about 3 million copies on Xbox alone. That probably seems like a weird number to cherry-pick, but it's the only official sales data for KOTOR. By comparison, Timothy Zahn's original Thrawn trilogy, published between 91 and 93, had sold a combined 15 million copies from release until 2017. Now, we can't say for sure that KOTOR sold more than the Thrawn trilogy, but as of January 2021, KOTOR is still averaging about 10,000 downloads per month on the App Store, even though it still costs 10 bucks. And it's available on like five other platforms that we have no recent data for. Again, we don't have exact figures, but if the game is still getting about 10,000 downloads a month, 
over 17 years after release, it's probably indicative of a lasting popularity. Then there's Revan, who is probably the most popular EU character. Obviously, part of that popularity has to do with Revan being a player character and thus a vessel upon which the player projects themselves, but that's no reason to discount it. For years, Revan has finished first or second in polls of the most popular EU characters and has received several licensed action figures and toys. These include, amongst others, a special edition Lego minifigure, a Hasbro Black Series action figure, and a Hasbro Black Series replica lightsaber. And that's just the stuff released since Disney bought the franchise in 2014. Revan has also appeared in several video games following KOTOR, including a brief appearance in KOTOR 2, and having an entire story expansion of SWOTOR dedicated to his character. Revan's appearance also has also nearly been canonized twice, the first time during the Mortis arc of the Clone Wars and later in concept art for The Rise of Skywalker, where Revan's famous mask would have appeared in carvings on Exegol. You get the idea. The character of Revan is very popular, but more importantly, Revan's story has remained almost totally untouched by the canon. The only other characters who could challenge Revan's popularity are Thrawn and Mara Jade, and each of their legend stories have been foreclosed by changes in the canon. As we have noted, Thrawn's legend story appears as though it will be adapted for the canon after he was name-dropped in The Mandalorian. Conversely, Mara Jade is likely a non-starter at this point, given how the canon drastically changed Luke Skywalker's backstory. It's possible that her character could appear in the future, but her story would be much, much different. That's simply not the case with the story in KOTOR and the character of Revan, as the lack of canonical Old Republic stories means each has remained largely untouched. The remote, untouched setting also becomes more appealing if Disney is looking for a new show or series of films to serve as a new focal point for future canon stories. Think about it, the Old Republic is a totally blank canvas and could easily serve as the setting for a new saga spawning new comics, novels, and or video games adapted from Legends Old Republic stories. Concern 3 Changes So, if the fact that these stories are niche within the wider fandom and the remote setting aren't issues, what about the changes that will have to be made? If they want to canonize the Old Republic and doing so would make a bunch of money, why doesn't Disney just re-canonize the popular old stories? After all, KOTOR is beloved for a reason and is widely considered one of the most well-written Star Wars stories, so they could just remaster the game. Disney could sell tons of remastered copies and use it as a basis for other Old Republic content, but what's the holdup? Thing is, regardless of what you might read, it's far too late for Disney and Lucasfilm to simply re-canonize legend stories. Fundamental yet subtle aspects of the universe have changed and would doom any such efforts. These range from tiny changes to the fact that all canon lightsaber crystals are kyber crystals and there aren't 10 different types of crystal like in Legends, to bigger changes like those made to Malachor V, which was when it was canonized as simply Malachor, which we discussed earlier. And then there's absolutely massive plot-altering changes like the differences between the Mandalorian Wars and Legends, and their canon counterpart, the Mandalorian Jedi War, which incorporates several different Legends events. Revan can't destroy the Mandalorians and their civilization at Malachor V in canon, because there is no Malachor V, and we already know that the canon Mandalorians were crushed on their homeworld. Those changes alone would require extensive dialogue, gameplay, and inventory reworking, and there are more that simply doom any chance for a nice, easy re-canonization. There's no getting around the fact that changes will have to be made to any Old Republic stories that appear in the canon. Too much time has passed and too many changes have been made for a simple remaster, no matter what some clickbait YouTube video says. No, it seems much more likely that the canon Old Republic stories will stay true to the original character and story, albeit with changes to make it work. Unfortunately, there are two hard truths about future canon Old Republic content. The first is that the stories will change somewhat to fit in the canon, meaning that the stories we get will be adaptations of Legends stories or new stories using familiar Legends characters that are set during the Old Republic era. 
Disney owns Star Wars and they created a new canon in 2014 for better or worse. And that's just how it is unless you have roughly $8 billion with which to purchase the franchise. We're assuming we're assuming you don't have that kind of money, but on the off chance you do, please consider doing something more productive with it than buying a movie franchise. Anyway, the point is that there will almost certainly be canon or Republic stories, but they will be adaptations or new stories with old characters. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, hold on, don't don't hold on put down your torches and pitchforks if you've been listening this long you know that we aren't telling you to trust disney we would never and we're certainly not saying that you should just ignore the old stories altogether everything we've said and done in this podcast should tell you otherwise what we are saying is that we will tentatively put our trust in the writers and directors who obviously cherish the old stuff but who are good at incorporating or adapting it to new stuff. People like Dave Filoni, Jon Favreau, Claudia Gray, Charles Soule, Deborah Chow, Karen Gillan, Kevin Scott, Pablo Hidalgo, Delilah Dawson, and more. If you don't know some of those names, that's fine. You'll just have to take our word for it. But you need look no further than Thrawn's modified character arc in canon uh, or the Mandalorian's use of the Crate Dragon quest from KOTOR to see examples of how these changes can be done well. There's no reason to think that that will change if the setting is moved to the Old Republic. The stories and characters will be changed in some ways. That's a foregone conclusion. So instead of dwelling on possible changes, which we can judge upon release, we're choosing to trust that the people who write and love Star Wars as much as we do will make good adaptations adaptations besides if the changes suck we can yell about it then and you can tell us we were wrong so concern for what there's no announcement but we've calmed your fears about the old republic being too niche or remote and you've begrudgingly accepted that changes will happen to our cherished stories put down the pitchforks and douse the churches and all douse the Torches and all that remains is for us to explain how a KOTOR movie is going to be announced soon in spite of the fact that nothing from the Old Republic was announced at Disney's 2020 shareholder presentation. Unfortunately, we can't do that because Old Republic content probably won't debut before 2024 and likely won't be announced before then either. And that's the second hard truth about canon Old Republic content. On December 10, 2020, Disney gave a presentation to shareholders about the future of Star Wars film and TV content through 2024, where they announced two new films and eight new Disney Plus shows. Sadly, none of them were set in the Old Republic, and that means we probably won't see it on TV or film until 2024 at the earliest. The lack of an announcement doesn't mean we won't get new won't get Old Republic content, it just means we have to wait. And waiting, as everyone knows, is the hardest part. In fact, it seems unlikely that KOTOR was ever going to be announced at the presentation, even if Disney was prepared to debut it, because SWOTOR is still producing content. However, it's not all bad news. One of the Disney Plus shows announced was The Acolyte, which is set about 200 years before the prequels, near the end of the High Republic era. Why does that matter? The Acolyte will mark the first time a live-action Star Wars has gone outside the Skywalker saga era for movies or TV. And while 200 years is an admittedly small step, it's still a step that can be used for greater world-building and moving further into the past. It seems like they will take time and seed in references to the Old Republic before visiting it, much like they did to introduce the High Republic. We really wish we could give you better news, but it just seems that the Old Republic won't arrive before 2024. Then again, Disney didn't announce everything at the presentation. The Disney Plus series Book of Boba was announced a week later, and there are hints that more new shows or films will be announced before 2024. Here's hoping. The Smoking Gun By now, you're probably a little perplexed. We've spent the last 20 minutes talking about how canon stories set in the Old Republic are basically a sure thing, and that a movie or TV series adaptation of KOTOR will be one of those stories. But we have presented very little evidence to back these assertions up. 
oh, sure, we've got some spotty sales figures for KOTOR and plenty of reasons why Revan's backstory could be adapted just like Thrawn's has been, but that's about it. In fact, you now realize that we haven't really presented any evidence that Disney or Lucasfilm have any desire to return to the Old Republic. So what gives? How are we so confident that Star Wars, Star Wars will return to the Old Republic in the future without a shred of evidence? Well, the truth is that we do have evidence, including a smoking gun that will blow this case wide open. But like any good showman, we've held it until now for until the end for maximum impact. That's right. We've been holding out this whole time. And worse yet, our smoking gun isn't even something new. It's a quote we've discussed on the show before, albeit a long time ago in episode 3.5. And we're not talking about some out-of-context quote by an unnamed source. This is a quote from Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm. In April 2019, following Star Wars Celebration 2019, Kennedy recorded an interview with MTV News in which she was asked if fans could expect KOTOR to return to canon. Kennedy responded, quote, you know we talk about Knights of the Old Republic all the time. Yes, we are developing something to look at. Right now, I have no idea where things fall, but we do have to be careful that there is a cadence to Star Wars and it doesn't start to feel like too much. End quote. See, not only are they thinking about canon Old Republic content, there was already something KOTOR related in development within Lucasfilm as of April 2019. Kathleen Kennedy said as much and until 20. 20- And until the 2020 Disney shareholder presentation, KOTOR was the only EU property we could find that Kennedy had referenced by name, which seems pretty indicative of Lucasfilm's interest in the Old Republic. But wait, there's more. On May 23rd, 2019, about a month after Kennedy's interview, Kate Arthur of BuzzFeed News reported that Leita Kellogridis my apologies on the name, was writing the first script for a KOTOR film adaptation. We originally discussed this back in episode 4.2, our 14th episode. Arthur further reported that Kalogridis had been working on the adaptation for about a year at the time and was nearly finished with her treatment. The report also stated that this KOTOR film could be the first of an entire trilogy and would presumably make the Old Republic era the focal point of future content. This report was based on three unnamed sources within Lucasfilm and Disney, and while this may seem like just another baseless rumor, there are very good reasons to believe it's true. First, this is not from the BuzzFeed that does listicles and quizzes about which Harry Potter has you belong to. This is from the well-regarded BuzzFeed News Division, which is good and has been good for a surprisingly long time. Second, the report is still up and has never been denied or even contested by Disney, Lucasfilm, or Kellogridis, each of whom refused to comment. Third, Star Wars rumors don't usually meet the journalistic standards required to be published by actual news organizations, so the fact that BuzzFeed News published it speaks to its reliability. While three unnamed sources might not sound like much, it would be the holy grail of sourcing for Star Wars rumors, which are usually based on little more than supposition and wanting more clicks. To make a long story short, there's no reason to doubt the reliability of this report or the sources behind it. When combined, Kennedy's statement and the BuzzFeed News report show that a KOTOR movie adaptation was in development as early as spring 2018 and that Kalogridis was on the brink of finishing the first version of the script in May 2019. It seems likely there's a KOTOR script just waiting to be used by Disney and Lucasfilm whenever the circumstances arise. Between the BuzzFeed News report and Kennedy's quote, we have all the evidence we need to say that Star Wars will move into the Old Republic and they will do so via a KOTOR adaptation. Unfortunately, we'll probably have to wait until at least 2024 or 2025 to see it. The funny thing is, the most likely reason we haven't seen or heard anything official about KOTOR is because of SWOTOR. While you might be inclined to scoff at the assertion, just think about the marketing nightmare that this would create for Disney and Lucasfilm. 
The fact is that the overall Star Wars canon is confusing enough already with the differences between canon and legend, with the differences between the canon and legend continuities. It's ridiculous to ask fans to maintain that distinction while also releasing a canon adaptation of Knights of the Old Republic at the same time that a game called Star Wars The Old Republic is still producing content. The titles are similar as is, and Revan, who would presumably be the lead character of a KOTOR movie and also appears multiple times in SWOTOR. No, it seems very likely that Disney would risk it seems very unlikely that Disney would risk confusing fans by introducing KOTOR into the canon while SWOTOR is still active. Confusing fans means driving them away, and driving them away means less profit. However, it may not be a problem much longer. On the day before the shareholder presentation, December 9th, 2020, SWOTOR released a content patch uh, which resolved almost every open question from the game. This would also explain why no Old Republic content was announced at the shareholder at the shareholder presentation. It's highly debatable whether they were prepared to announce anything in the first place. Sorry, let me start over. This would also explain why no canon Old Republic content was announced at the shareholder presentation, though it's highly it's highly debatable whether they were prepared to announce anything in the first place. If it indeed, if indeed it is the final piece of new content for Swotor, then that will clear one of the final major hurdles standing in the way of the canonical Old Republic. Without Swotor, there are no marketing or advertising issues, and the franchise begin, can begin announcing Old Republic content. Then again, even if this isn't the last. Uh, the last update for SWOTOR, it seems very unlikely that SWOTOR will continue releasing content past 2021, much less into 2024, so it's kind of a moot point anyway. They won't announce canon or Republic stories until SWOTOR is over, and SWOTOR will almost certainly end before 2024, so in that way it kind of makes SWOTOR the canary in the coal mine here. Once a formal end to SWOTOR is announced, it will likely signal that the canon Old Republic is set to begin. Okay, so that's out of the way, but why do we have to wait until 2024 or later for that content? They aren't too concerned about it too ni- being too niche or, too, or their setting being too remote if they ordered a KOTOR script, so what's the deal? Well, while we can't say for sure, we have some guesses. Delays. To be honest, we don't even know if a KOTOR movie was delayed because we don't know if the KOTOR movie was slated to be the unnamed Star Wars film in 2022, 2024, or 2026. If the film was always scheduled for December 2026, then there's probably no delay, but that also seems unlikely. If you wanted KOTOR to be your next big film and possibly kick off a trilogy of films, you wouldn't want to hold it back until 2026 seven years after the initial announcement. No, it seems far more likely that KOTOR was slated for 2022 or 2024 and has now been delayed thanks to the pandemic. And while there is a chance that the film was always planned for 2024 and it will still be released at that time, it's far more likely that it was delayed. We must note that in the grand scheme of things, a Star Wars movie getting pushed back is utterly inconsequential in comparison to the loss of life trauma and suffering caused by the coronavirus. However, the pandemic does appear to be the main cause of the delay, and thus we will discuss it in that context. Beginning in January 2020, countries across the globe began entering lockdown, which meant nobody was watching movies and theaters began to close as a result. As the pandemic raged on throughout the year, the global outlook was still bad and movie studios began rethinking their distribution strategies. In October, big budget films like Denis Villeneuve's Dune and the 25th James Bond film No Time to Die were delayed into 2021. This is the second time that the No Time to Die was delayed because of the pandemic. Then, a few days after Dune was delayed, Disney announced it was totally restructuring its entertainment divisions to place a heavy emphasis on streaming. The three unnamed Star Wars films scheduled for release in 2022, 24, and 26 were also indefinitely and officially delayed at this time. With the future of movie theaters in doubt, there was good reason to delay the release of the next big ticket film you have planned. 
Then, in December 2020, Disney made good on its promise to emphasize streaming by announcing eight new Disney Plus shows and just two new films at their shareholder presentation event. All right, so who's involved? Unfortunately, the quote from Kathleen Kennedy and the info from the BuzzFeed News article are the only ones we can say are, are the only things we can say for certain about a KOTOR film. Due to those delays, we honestly don't know who, if anyone, was or is attached to the KOTOR film adaptation. All we have are old announcements and old rumors about who would direct, produce, or star in the film. During spring and summer 2019, rumors and a few reports stated that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss would produce or get executive producer credit for a KOTOR film or trilogy of films. Rumors and reports also indicated that the film would have been directed by Ryan Johnson. At the time, Weiss and Benioff and Johnson had separately agreed to projects with Lucasfilm, which were officially announced by the company. However, we now know that Weiss and Benioff, the producers of HBO's Game of Thrones series, officially left their production deal with Lucasfilm in October 2019, though they were likely quietly let go months before it was made official. If Weiss and Benioff were truly going to produce a KOTOR film, then it's very likely that KOTOR was slotted into that December 2022 release slot. And while a 2022 release would have been an exciting announcement, it's a very good thing that Weiss and Benioff left. Their disdain for source material became apparent toward the end of Game of Thrones and was even something the duo stated themselves. And while a KOTOR movie doesn't have to be a strict adaptation, we really don't want Revan just forgetting about the location of the Mandalorian fleet, a la how Daenerys lost her second dragon in Game of Thrones Season 8, now do we. In September 2019, it was also officially announced that Kevin Feige will produce a Star Wars film, but it will be a new project, and in December 2020, Feige confirmed that he's only involved in that single project for Star Wars, so it seems unlikely that he will be producing a KOTOR film. As for Rian Johnson's involvement, we know for certain that he agreed to write a trilogy of unnamed Star Wars films and direct at least the first film. Nothing official ever said he was directing a KOTOR film. Johnson's project was announced on November 9, 2017, by Disney President Bob Iger during an earnings call, and has just kind of been waiting around since then. Despite rumors to the contrary, both Lucasfilm and Johnson have repeatedly affirmed that the project was still in the works, and although the pandemic threw that into limbo, Johnson confirmed in an interview that his trilogy of Star Wars films was still going to happen. With Johnson confirming his ongoing plan to make new Star Wars films, it is quite possible that he could direct a future KOTOR adaptation, though that's just speculation on our part. At this point, we don't know if Johnson was supposed to direct the delayed KOTOR film or if he will direct one in the future, though we would obviously welcome that since he already did good work on The Last Jedi. Outside of Johnson, the only other director who seems like a possibility to direct a KOTOR movie is Taika Waititi, who directed a season one episode of The Mandalorian and is uh, probably best known stateside for Thor Ragnarok, among many other things. YTT's unnamed film was confirmed for a 2024 release at the 2020 shareholder presentation, but that's all we know about it. It could be that YTT is directing a couture film set for a 2024 release, but that's pure speculation at this point. Finally, we're left with the actors who would star in the film, and we have almost nothing in that regard. We barely have any rumors and definitely no official news for any of the roles. The one constant rumor has been that Keanu Reeves will be cast as Revan. He's a very well-liked action star who also just happens to share a strong resemblance to the character models used for Revan and Swotor. But really, that's all we have. The unfortunate truth is we don't know if anyone is involved in a KOTOR film at this point in time, and we likely won't know officially until SWOTOR ends. So where does that leave the Canon Republic? 
Well, we know that something KOTOR-related was in development in April 2019 based on Kathleen Kennedy's comments. We also know that Leda Calegritus likely completed the first draft of a KOTOR adaptation script by summer 2019. Thus, Disney and Lucasfilm have at least one complete or near-complete script for a KOTOR adaptation. Further, it seems likely that the KOTOR film was slated for release in either December 2022 or December 2024, with producers and directors and a director attached, but coronavirus delayed those plans. Then, in October 2020, Disney fully restructured its entertainment division to focus on streaming, and that likely delayed any KOTOR film until 2024 at the earliest. Now, in February 2021, we just don't know what's happening with any certainty. Some have expressed doubts that Disney plans to go, that Disney plans to go to the Republic go to the Old Republic after it wasn't announced at the shareholder presentation, but that seems a bit rash. After all, Swotor released another content update the day before, and even if that is the final Swotor update, and we don't know that it is, they would still wait some time before announcing canon Old Republic content. It seems much more likely that they will wait to announce that they will wait to announce until Swotor is finished, and Disney has determined how it wants to proceed with movies. There's a small chance that theaters never recover and largely die out, in which case they they would probably move future Old Republic content to Disney+. Plus. It's not unheard of for movie scripts to be broken down into TV episodes, which is currently being done by the Kenobi series. But the truth is that we just don't know when a KOTOR film is going to be announced or if it will even be a film at that point. Long live the Old Republic. All we can say for certain is that something KOTOR-related is or was in development, and Disney almost certainly has a completed KOTOR script. When they will do that is... what? What? Excuse me. What they will do with that is anyone's guess, and it seems unlikely we will see it before 2024. Though we could hear an announcement at any point after SWOTOR's end becomes official, whenever that will be. In the meantime, keep the end of SWOTOR in the back of your mind because once that's over, announcements will be forthcoming. You know, assuming that movies and TV are still a thing in the near future. It's probably worth monitoring the High Republic content, even if you aren't interested in it and only do so passively, simply because they will likely use it as a springboard to more ancient eras. It seems like they are already seeding in more references to the Old Republic in the High Republic content, And that can only mean good things. After all, that's how they started to introduce the High Republic as a distinct era. The fact that the Acolyte will be the first live-action Star Wars set outside the 70-year Skywalker saga is a big deal, even if it's just a Disney Plus show set near the end of the High Republic era. If you take nothing else from this episode, you should remember that there is a good reason to believe that Star Wars will return to the Old Republic era in canon, and that's a good thing. Well, unless you don't want Disney Star Wars to return to the Old Republic, which, uh, you know, if that's the case, you should prepare to be disappointed because it seems highly likely we will get canon Old Republic content in the future for all the reasons stated earlier, both in-universe and in real life. All we can now do is wait and hope that the content we get will actually be good. Though outside of a KOTOR film or TV series, we really don't know what forms it will take. Regardless, it seems like canon Old Republic content is not a question of if it will happen, but a question of when it will happen. And when it does, a people's history of the Old Republic will return to outmine more truth from legends. After all, no one's ever really gone. And with that, I have Just some words for at least this era of people's history of the Old Republic, if not the whole project, as I look forward to our eventual uh, triumphant return. Um, Throughout this experience, whenever I've been asked to explain what we're doing, and really it's the work that Luke is doing at least 90% of the time, I've fallen back on this metaphor. It is as though we are reading through the Old Testament while waiting outside the chambers where the New Testament is being drafted. Storytelling is a thing people do, and further codifying those stories into canon and 
not canon is the work of institutions. We have no special insight here. We just have a keen eye for the story as publicly known and the new story as alluded to. As Disney explores the High Republic, slotted into the existing discrepancies in film canon as a younger Old Republic, it is working in a tradition set out by others and mining already rich archives. As someone who is drawn into Star Wars by the possibility of other stories than those we just had on film, I'm excited to learn what ultimately gets refined into new canon and what remains left outside the official story. To riff on Luke and Ahsoka and Filoni, there may be a bit of truth in Legends, but there's still plenty of sloppy cover-ups in canon. Sometimes those cover-ups are for good reason. I don't think anyone in 2021 is particularly upset that Splinter of the Mind's Eyes Luke Leia romance was superseded by the revelation of them as twins. But what we get from talking about that story and from talking about it in the context of actively crafting new canon is that the seeds of both Return of the Jedi's canonical answer and Splinter's divergence are present in A New Hope. Canon is a thing a group of people make out of stories a greater number of people tell. I'm excited to see where Star Wars goes next, and more than that, I feel pretty grateful for having had some small part in documenting what bits of the story stayed canon and what got left outside the Council of Disneya. <laughs> Nice. Oh, that was that was good. I like that. <sighs> All right. I'm really bad at saying goodbye. Really, really bad. Before I get started, I should say a few thank yous. First and foremost, thanks go to uh, <laughs> to my co-host Kelsey for agreeing to co-host the show and doing such an excellent excellent job. I'd also like to thank a Twitter user at PissPigTycoon for the amazing cover art that we love so much and Twitter user at CurtisRemark for mixing the show's intro music. Finally, thank you to my wife and daughter. I love you both so much and couldn't have done this without you. The People's History of the Old Republic originally began as a Let's Play series. I was recording for a playthrough of KOTOR 2 which started a really weird time in my life. I started replaying KOTOR 2 in early 2018 because I needed something that I could distract myself with while holding my infant daughter at all hours of the night. At the time, I had sunk into a deep depression because our daughter, Maddie, was born with neuroblastoma, a form of childhood cancer. Thankfully, Maddie is perfectly happy, healthy now and just had her third birthday recently. But at the time, things were scary. I had to quit working to take care of Maddie because we have health insurance through my wife's employer. For months, we rarely saw many other people because babies can't get vaccinated until they've been off chemo for six months. And there were just too many anti-vaxxers around for it to be safe to take Maddie out. This isolation only made the sadness and depression worse, so my wife suggested playing a video game to take my mind off it, since you can do that sort of thing while holding a sleeping while holding a sleeping or feeding baby. Video games sounded like a much better idea than just becoming more online and consuming more awful news, so I decided to play KOTOR 2, which in hindsight is a really ironic choice for someone who suffered from trauma, went into isolation, and became very depressed. If you recall from Series 6, that's the Jedi Exiles backstory from KOTOR 2, though I had forgotten that at the time because I had only beat the game once years before. But I didn't realize how much the game's story beats mirrored my own situation when I first started replaying the game, and so I just kept plugging away. I observed the game's characters and story, and unbeknownst to me, they became intertwined with my experiences. Then one day I saw a random tweet about how KOTOR 2 is a story about depression and finding yourself, and it all suddenly hit me. KOTOR 2 is a story about depression and finding yourself, a story about PTSD and, catharsis, and the catharsis that comes from reconnecting with your past. I have been using those themes in the game as a subconscious coping mechanism the whole time, for better and for worse, KOTOR 2 was etched 
onto my soul and will probably be my favorite Star Wars story until the day I die because of that fact. Late in 2018, Maddie started to get better and she finished up her sixth and final round of chemo in August of that year. Her cancer receded and we were really able to breathe a sigh of relief about her health, though we were still mostly stuck, stuck inside until she was able to get vaccinated. By this time, I just finished I just finished the game, probably had about 50 hours of gameplay recorded with the restored content mod for the Let's Play, for the Let's Play series, and then I accidentally and permanently deleted it one night by total mistake. So I did what any normal person would do. I tried desperately for three hours to recover, then got really mad at myself for a week or so, then tried to restart and play the game again, but I was too frustrated, so I just shelved it. But I was still at home with an infant all the time, so I needed an outlet, and the podcast seemed like the best option. Thus, the podcast became a very long-form coping mechanism for everything going on in my life and the world. Of course, it's also a love letter to the Old Republic, my favorite era of Star Wars. Until that recent KOTOR 2 playthrough, my favorite Star Wars game was KOTOR, and the first EU stories I ever really loved were the Tales of the Jedi comics, which I read as a kid. But doing a, pos- a podcast would also require me to find a co-host because I will ramble and ramble and ramble if left to my own devices. However, I didn't want to ask anyone because I have an irrational fear of rejection. But one night I got high enough to surmount that particular hurdle and I DM'd Kelsey about co-hosting the show. To this day, I can't imagine why he agreed to my proposal. We didn't know each other very well, except for following one another on Twitter, and it isn't exactly the most awe-inspiring idea for a podcast. It was essentially, hey man, come do the show that can't possibly be monetized about a niche area of Star Wars lore with me, an unemployed weirdo you know from the internet. To my very happy surprise, he agreed, and that was a very good thing because the show wouldn't have happened without Kelsey putting up with my bullshit. So it was that in January 2019, we published our first episode around episode around uh, episode 2.2, our fifth one. It became clear that I had to fully scrap the show, script the show as a means of including everything and keeping myself on track. But people kept listening and we made it through Tales of the Jedi, which I didn't ever think would happen. But KOTOR was another story altogether. It's easily the most popular and best-reviewed story in the Old Republic, and it's not even close. However, we made it through KOTOR and even managed to successfully predict the ending of The Rise of Skywalker two months before its release in the process. That's not much of an achievement in the grand scheme of things, but you take what you can get. But the beginning of Series 6 on KOTOR 2... We changed the episode numbering system and took a deep dive into my favorite story in the narrative. Of course, our episodes on KOTOR 2 also ended up doubling as an exploration of my own issues stemming from, well, everything we just discussed. At times, it was difficult to write, but it was also incredibly helpful to me on a personal level. And even though we took all of episode 6.9 to cover the confrontation on Dantooine, a set piece that takes roughly 15 minutes in the game, I'm glad we did it. Sure, it ran a bit long, but a little extra KOTOR 2 never hurt anybody. And then it came to Series 7, which I was dreading because SWTOR and the Lost Tribe series are the only pieces of Old Republic content I hadn't really consumed at that point. Also, SWTOR is massive and would easily have taken 15 to 20 episodes to complete if we divided everything up like we have for the KOTORs. But we got through it and did a pretty good job, all things considered. Plus, no one complained, so I'll chalk that up as a win. Besides, they besides they will release at least one more update for SWOTOR, so we'll definitely have to do a second epilogue to Series 7. Lastly, we came to Series 9, which covers which covers some of the most important events in Legend in the Legends continuity, but is also filled with contradictions and obstacles. Uh, contradictions and required us to take an extended deep dive into the mind of George Lucas. Despite these obstacles, we powered through and hopefully arrived at a more complete understanding of both the construction of the EU and the approach Lucas took from it. And then we got to the final sad death of the Old Republic, which necessarily brought about the end of our narrative. By then, 
all that was left to do all that was left to do this final episode which serves as an ep- by then all that was left to do was this final episode which serves as an epilogue to the narrative about the future of the canonical world republic with that we met both our goals when we started the series we covered every standalone story in the old republic era and discussed the future of the old republic at length all told, the narrative of a people's history of the Republic consists of 60 episodes, including this one. That doesn't count any of the hiatus episodes or interviews, just episode 1.0, and then all of the rest of the series, and then all the rest of the episodes from series 2 through series 9. And the amount of writing involved is staggering. Those 60 episodes were all scripted, and the total amount of content is is mind-blowing. For the, six, for the narrative 60 episodes, I wrote nearly 850 pages of script that contained more than 500,000 words, which is about two-thirds the number of words in a standard King James Bible. Further, the narrative is told across almost 60 hours of podcasting, which is about the time it takes to do an extremely create, completest playthrough of KOTOR, and that seems kind of fitting to me. And while I am very proud of this content, perhaps even more proud than I should be, I also realize that I have a literal manuscript's worth of writing that I can't do anything with. I can't publish it or sell it because Disney's legal team would sue me into the poorhouse for IP infringement if I tried. Then again, it's unhealthy to judge the thing you do based solely upon how much profit you can make. So instead of cursing my inability to monetize this, I should be happy with the people's history of the Old Republic as a two-year-long labor of love that also helped me cope with the worst things that ever happened to me. And to tell you the truth, I'm very happy with it for, the, for those reasons and don't regret any of it. It had to be us. Someone else might have gotten it wrong. Of course, Lucasfilm could really fix all this by viewing Fotor as a long-form resume and giving me a job writing lore for the canonical Old Republic. I'm just saying. With all that out of the way, all that's left to do is say goodbye one more time. Don't be too sad, though. A People's History of the Old Republic will occasionally resurface randomly to release interviews and more of our hiatus-type episodes. Besides, it seems inevitable that the Star Wars canon will return to the Old Republic at some point, and you can bet your ass that Fotor will resume normal operations when that happens, assuming, you know, we're all still around. We'll return to critique, praise, complain, and generally overanalyze every single thing in excruciating detail. However, we must say goodbye until the time until the time that the canonical Old Republic becomes reality. Until then, thank you very much for listening to A People's History of the Old Republic, and may the Force be with you.